Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each week we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. This week, new number systems seek their lost primes. In 1847, Gabriel Lamé proved Fermat's last theorem, or so he thought. Lamé was a French mathematician who had made many important discoveries, and he thought he proved a problem that had defied the most brilliant minds for more than 200 years. His method had been hiding in plain sight. Fermat's last theorem states that there are no positive integer solutions to equations of the form a to the n plus b to the n equals c to the n if n is greater than 2. Lamet realized that he could prove the theorem if he just expanded his number system to include a few new values. Adding new values to the old numbers is not hard to do. For example, there's a straightforward mathematical recipe for how to include the square root of 5 as a normal number between 2 and 3. And after that, you can carry on with the business of arithmetic as usual. All you do is write each value in the new number system as a plus b square root of 5, where a and b are integers. This might seem like a clumsy way to write a number, but it serves as a basis for creating a new number system that functions just like the old one. Mathematicians call this new system a number ring. They can create an infinite variety of them depending on the new values they choose to include. Of course, it's hard to tinker with something as intricate as a number system without unintended consequences. When Lamet started adjoining these funny numbers, everything looked great at first, but then other mathematicians pointed out that this new flexibility had a cost. The new number system lacked unique prime factorization. Unique prime factorization states that a number, for example 12, can be expressed uniquely as a product of primes. So for 12, 2 times 2 times 3. Unique prime factorization ensures that each number in a number system can be built up from prime numbers in exactly one way. In a numbering that includes a square root of negative 5, a problem arises. 6 is both 2 times 3 and also 1 plus the square root of negative 5 times 1 minus the square root of negative 5. All four of those factors are prime in the new numbering, giving six a dual existence that just won't do if you're trying to nail things down mathematically. Here's Manjul Bhargava, a professor at Princeton and winner of the Fields Medal. Even when in algebra classes we first teach that, the students gasp. Oh my gosh, what happens? Their whole world falls apart because they always assume, took for granted in our usual number system, that everything can be decomposed uniquely into prime. Unique prime factorization is a way of constructing a number system from fundamental building blocks. Without it, proofs can turn leaky. Mixing roots with regular numbers didn't work on Fermat's last theorem, but the way in which it failed got mathematicians thinking. It also led to algebraic number theory. Today, mathematicians study the class numbers of number systems. These are ratings of how badly a number system fails unique prime factorization, depending on which roots get mixed in. A number system that gets a 1 has unique prime factorization. A system that gets a 2 misses unique prime factorization by a little. A system that gets a 7 misses it by a lot more. You'd expect class numbers to be randomly distributed. That's not the case, though, and current research aims to understand why. 
Today, mathematicians focusing on the structure that underlies class numbers are inching closer to the truth about long-conjectured values. It's an effort that has generated insights about how numbers behave far beyond a proof of any one problem. Bhargava again. A proof of Fermat's last theorem has never been obtained just by studying these class numbers. We don't know enough about them. So you can imagine if we did understand the class groups well enough and exactly how everything factors in general and how the class group behaves in general, then it seems conceivable that proof of that kind could work. Of course, it's hard to say because we don't understand the class groups very well. Around the same time LeMay gave his failed proof of Fermat's last theorem, the German mathematician Ernst Kumar developed a way to fix the loss of prime factorization. He used what he called ideal numbers. They're not numbers in any conventional sense. They're more like sprawling constructions in set theory that perform a number-like function. For example, the simplest ideal is the infinite set of all multiples of a given integer, like 5, 10, 15, 20, and so on. Ideals can be added into an already expanded numbering to restore unique factorization. They allow mathematicians to unite competing prime factorizations in a single set of prime factors. Ideals can be categorized into various classes. The number of different classes of ideals you need to add to a numbering in order to restore unique factorization is the ring's class number. The study of class numbers goes at least as far back as Carl Friedrich Gauss in the early 19th century. It's a sign of how hard it's been to make progress in this area. Many of his results are still state-of-the-art. Gauss conjectured that there are infinitely many positive square roots that can be adjoined to the whole numbers without losing unique factorization. A proof of this remains the most sought-after result in class numbers. Gauss also conjectured that there are only nine negative square roots that preserve prime factorization. The square root of negative 163 is the very last one. Research on class numbers remains inspired by Gauss. Henri Cohen and Hendrik Lenstra established context in the late 1970s, Together, they formulated the Cohen-Lenstra heuristics, which are a series of predictions about how frequently particular kinds of class numbers should appear. For example, the heuristics predict that 43% of class numbers are divisible by 3 in situations where you're adjoining square roots of negative numbers. Here's Akshay Venkatesh, a mathematician at Stanford. That's interesting because it, it tells you this way in which this class number is behaving unexpectedly. Okay, if you just go and look at a list of telephone numbers or something, then generally speaking, one in three of them should be divisible by three. Gauss had to compute class numbers by hand. By the time Cohen and Lenstra made their predictions, computers could rapidly calculate class numbers for billions of different numberings. As a result, there is good experimental evidence to support the Cohen-Lenstra heuristics, but knowing something with confidence is entirely different from proving it. Jeanette Kazmerzak produced this episode. I am Karen Chikurji. For more of the story, read Kevin Hartnett's full article, New Number Systems Seek Their Lost Primes on quantummagazine.org.